Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, it's Simon Hughes, the analyst inside cricket. The fourth day's play in the Perth Test match. It's actually raining pretty heavily tonight in Perth, and I suppose that's England's main hope, really, is that the rain will continue throughout the night and into tomorrow morning and leave them only with a couple of hours' play. They're still 120-odd behind with six wickets left. A good partnership between David Milan and Johnny Bairstow is sort of being established, but you sort of feel, Simon, that there's a couple of pretty lethal deliveries out there which could finish England off, especially with the fragility of the tail. So well, the, the, the fingertips are still on the ashes, but only just. Yeah, you feel as though those ashes are going to be handed back over sometime tomorrow, unless, of course, the weather does intervene. I think it needs two things. It needs, it'll need some heroic batting, and it'll need a bit of help from the weather. I mean, if England get out of this without any help for the weather, it will be Johannesburg all over again, 1995, when Mike Atherton played that absolutely stunning innings. I can, I can remember it quite clearly, actually. I was in the BBC Sports Room, and when Mike Atherton and Jack Russell walked off the field, everyone in the room, obviously, no, you know, no, they couldn't hear us in Johannesburg, but everyone in the room just stood up and applauded, because it, it was that momentous what they achieved. It, it'll be along those lines, I think, if England say this with a full day. Of course, if there's some weather around, then that gives England a, a better chance. But, you know, you look at Mitchell Stark's delivery to James Vince and you think, could be one or two more of those. I mean, it's a fabulous ball. It's a dramatic moment in the day. It, it just seemed to say the Ashes are coming back to Australia, that ball. And also, actually, the court and bowl of Alistair Cook as well, which could easily, another time, have been deflected by the bowler or dropped or just ricocheted off his leg or something like that. But Josh Hazel sort of plucked it from a foot above the ground, a legitimate shot by Cook. And Cook would have been one of the people England were hoping would play an Atherton-type innings. People would be saying, well, hold on a second, how can Australia go out there and score 660 for nine declared, make the pitch look flat, lose one wicket 
in the day, and then England go out there and suddenly looks a completely different game. Well, there's, there are probably sort of two answers to that, but one of them is an obvious one: is that Australia's bowling attack is more potent. But it is so difficult, and people say now they're professional cricketers, but it is so difficult when you've been in the field for that long, 180 overs. Then you've got to go out and bat. Yeah, and I, I remember it was a long time ago now, but I played a five-day game in Calcutta and. Uh, we were fielding for probably four of those days, pretty much in in total. The first two and a half days, we were out in the field, plugging away at the Indian batsmen. It was pretty hot, and you just become very weary, even as a fielder. Even if you're not bowling, I was bowling. I bowled something like forty overs, but the fielders, you know, wandering from long leg to mid off to deep square leg. It's unrelenting that the heat and the, the, the runs being scored and you can't see any way through the batting order and you don't know when your fielding session is going to finally end. And your feet are very heavy. And I, I'm hugely admiring of opening batsmen who've been through that experience of 180 overs, 200 overs in the field. And then 10 minutes later, they're out there facing a guy at 90 miles an hour who's had his feet up for the last two days, most of the time. And your feet just don't move. It's as if you're wearing lead boots. And so it wasn't surprising that England lost a couple of wickets. I thought, actually, that Mark Stoneman was psyched out a bit by the bowling of Hazelwood in the first innings. He went through a torrid patch with some short balls that he didn't really pick up. One time he was hit on the helmet. He was dropped at slip. There was a couple of chances just short of the, the cover point field. And generally, he looked a little bit like a rabbit in headlights. And I think he was conscious of that today when he was facing Hazelwood in the second innings. He tried, well, what am I going to do differently? And he tried a pull to a ball which actually wasn't all that short. He missed it and he went through to the keeper. And I was just thinking then, hmm, he's got the short ball in his mind. And that may be why he just didn't get fully forward to a ball outside or stump and got an edge. So it's, it's a cumulative effect facing these kind of bowlers. If they are relentless as they are, and you've been in the field for, two, for nearly 200 overs, it is, it's really tough. Yeah, and, and Mark Stoneman would have not experienced anything like that before. Not that intensity. Not, you know, of course, he's not played in, in, in an Ashes Test match before. He, I'm almost certain he's never fielded for 180 overs before. And then you've got some fine bowlers roaring in at you on a, a you know a relatively responsive pitch okay so, you know it's decent for batting but you know you can see the cracks and you, you know the threat that they pose and at the other end of course you've got Alistair Cook who's got all those miles on the clock and he's not in very good form as well so I, I agree with you it wasn't that much of a surprise when they lost those two early wickets what was a surprise was the shot Joe Root played to Nathan Lyon's first ball was uh, almost like a scrambled mind slightly just chasing a wide ball. In a way, you think, well, you've got to be positive. You've got to play shots against the spinner. We've been calling for that, haven't we, through through the series, England being a bit defensive against Nathan Lyon in, in earlier matches. But actually, bowling with the wind, which is unusual for a spinner here in Perth, he just got a bit of drift away. And you know, Root would probably hit that shot normally with a stump, never mind a bat. But he just perhaps was a little bit slow to get in position, deceived by the drift, got an edge. And on another day as well, if things were going your way, that edge would have been off the wicketkeeper's thigh and bounced safely or gone through between wicketkeeper and slip for four or something. But just on this occasion, it, it ricocheted straight into Steve Smith's hands. And it was, a, it was a sad dismissal, really, disappointing. Obviously, James Vince got an absolute peach of a ball from Mitchell Stark which nobody could have played I don't think even Boycott with a much wider bat would have 
been able to negotiate that. It was like... Of course I could have played it. (laughs) It was like a 90-mile-an-hour leg break. It was like the Gatting ball that Shane Warne delivered at 90 miles an hour. It was um, impossible to play. And Vince actually looked pretty good. He looked The best I've seen him play. That was the best I've seen him play. Yeah. Mm. He looks like he's got time to play. He does unfurl these beautifully timed shots, but he has a habit of either getting out or attracting good balls. It's interesting with James Vince, isn't it? You saw him play at... At Brisbane, and you, you, you know, there is a, a sort of feels like there's a test cricketer in there somewhere waiting to come out. And you see the previous uh, test matches he's played where he's just nicked off, he lets an, an easy wicket, and then subsequently he's looked quite an easy wicket. You see him play like that today, you think, wow, hold on a second. You know, if he can harness that, then perhaps he has got a test match future. And it's, it's so tantalizing. I think he's better off lower down the order. Well, that might be the answer, mightn't it? Coming in at number five. See, I think Milan looks very competent against the faster bowlers and he just gets smoothly into position and he got quickly away with three or four fours off Pat Cummings. He wasn't at his best today. So I, I think perhaps we may see in the future, perhaps when England go to New Zealand or even in this series, we might see Milan go up to number three and Vince go to five. I would prefer that because I think Vince, I'm not sure he's really learning, but, but in, you know he's got out a number of times the same way. I'm not saying today, but in some of the earlier tests, he's got out the same way, caught at slip or caught behind, chasing wide balls, which if the ball is a bit older and the bowlers are a little bit more tired that shot might be okay. He might be able to play that positive sort of role at number five a bit more effectively. You know, just looking back at England's bowling, today they look much better. Stuart Broad, disappointing. No wickets for 140. Second worst Ashes figures by any bowler for England. And he looked innocuous throughout not only this match, but the series in general. He just doesn't have the ingredients, the raw materials to take wickets on these pitches. Now, I think his wrist, his floppy wrist, that has been so good against left-handed batsmen over the last couple of years, is holding him back on these sort of flat pitches where there's no movement sideways or, or through the air. And I worry about his future away from home. I still think I'd probably look at to play him some test matches at home, but probably not away. I thought Jimmy Anderson today was much better. Targeted the stumps, used the old ball well, and kept on with the old ball instead of the new one. And he looked, you know, he looked dangerous. And he got Steve Smith LBW for the second time, uh, having got him at Adelaide. That's the way to get Steve Smith out. Keep targeting the stumps. Just try little bits of movement one way or the other. Maybe vary your pace. Try a slower ball, then a quicker ball. Vary your position on the crease, but target his stumps because I think that's where he's most vulnerable. Well, he got Smith LBW at Adelaide. That was it was overturned, wasn't it? Wokes got him eventually, but but I take your point. That well, and he was nearly LBW when he threw his two hundred a couple of times. There was one which he overturned, a decision against him. Could Anderson could have got him with that ball, which was a no ball. So you know that that's the one little area of vulnerability. They're never going to get him caught a slip on these pitches. There's no movement. A wicket early on for Jimmy Anderson. He got Mitch Marsh as well, who just failed, didn't he, to go past his brother. Sean Marsh. I know you've been speaking to his father, Jeff Marsh. Amazing, isn't it? You've got three members of the family, father and two sons, who've all got test centuries. And we'll get Ashes centuries, and that, that's unique. And I know Jeff Marsh pretty well. I played with him for Fremantle in the 1980s out here, and uh, obviously known inevitably as Swampy, and probably his two sons are known as Swampy Junior and Swampy Little Swampy or something would be Mitchell, although Mitchell's actually the, the biggest member of the family, so he's probably Big Swampy, and then Sean is Little Swampy. Uh, anyway, Jeff, of course, opened the batting for Australia and also was coach 
of Australia, and he's done the rounds. He's, he's always been coached at Zimbabwe, actually, of, of all places. He's really been round the traps with different uh, jobs in cricket. Lovely guy, very laid back. You know, he came from a, a place called Wandering, which is about an hour or two south of Perth, and his wife at the time used to feed the bowling machine on this farm, you know, so he became a relentless accumulator of runs, and he seems to pass that on to his sons, now, one of them's got bragging rights over him for the highest test score. And no doubt that uh, he'll probably remind me of that over the next uh, week or so. Um, but he hasn't caught Sean yet. Sean's still got the highest test score. So uh, In the Marsh family. Yeah, so he's got to keep it, uh, got to keep it quiet for a while. There's obviously a, a, there's a batting gene in the Marsh family... Where does it come from? Because you worked really hard, didn't you? I mean, I remember your wife, or probably fiancé at the time, actually feeding the bowling machine to you. Yeah. Very much like, I know Steve Smith's fiancé does that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just... uh, um, I guess I I played test cricket, and then obviously you have, um, you know, three kids, and one... The girl plays basketball, and the two boys take up cricket, and, um, you know, they they love the game, and they, they... you know, worked hard at it when they were young kids, and um, yeah, they just started scoring runs. And um, um, have you have you talked to them much about batting and you know, about the art of concentration? Well, I've ta- I've spoken to them, uh, but like all fathers and sons, you know, when you talk to young kids, it always ends up in a in an argument. But I think Justin's had a massive influence on my two boys, not only as cricketers but as uh, you know, making him good good you know uh, good men. Um, and I think that's shown on the, on, on the field with their performances over the last uh, couple of years. He was always an all-rounder because he had to bowl at Sean in, in the backyard. That was the thing, you know, like Sean did all the batting, Mitch did all the bowling um, um, and only got a little hit at the end. So that's how it all panned out. And it's amazing how you, when you start young like that, how it all just flows through your career. That innings by Sean in Adelaide could turn out to be a very important innings for the series because that was the one test match you thought England could dominate and that innings really established the, uh, an important platform for Australia, actually. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that was a good innings, but I thought the 50 in um, uh, Brisbane was more important when we were four for 74 and he, uh, he and, and Stephen um, put on a really good partnership there because if that had got out that night, then anything could have happened, you know, first test match and um, the psyche of the game could have been totally different. So, you know, I thought that, that partnership with Stephen was, was really crucial and then obviously in Adelaide we were in a little bit of trouble again and he put his head down and, um, and played really well. Unseasonal weather. It doesn't rain in Perth, does it? I mean, it's absolutely tipping down. Yeah, no, it's raining. I can't believe it myself, but um, it's better than being 45 degrees like it has been the last three years here during a test match. And I think tomorrow it won't rain. I'll be right. set up for a really good day. So a local, a local saying that, that rain's not going to save England. Yeah. No, no. Oh, really? No, I don't think so. So Jeff Marsh dismisses any hope of rain saving England, that's sadly. They're not, that's because they're not used to it raining here in Perth, where we've got some strange weather in this world. Well, we've got some strange weather in Australia, this, yeah. this series, actually, haven't we? It wouldn't be right there if England were saved by rain. No, I, I agree. Mean, if there, you know, if there was half an hour delay or whatever, you know, a few showers in the day, but if we had you know, four or five hours washed out because of rain, that, that would feel completely unsatisfactory. A sort of phony victory yeah. or a phony, it, pho- phony draw. I don't, mind, I don't mind if there's an hour or so, but I would like to see him come out and try to produce some heroic Johannesburg-style batting. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't. I think well, of course great. you're going to say that. <laughs> God. 
I think Australia will regain you, the ashes. If you tomorrow. read the Daily Mail, you know, the aliens are coming. No. You sure? No. I reckon you do. No. It's always doom and gloom. But it's I, realism. I, I, I will go along with you on, on this occasion. I just think that though Milan and Bearstow look damn good out there today, I just think there's a ball with their number on it tomorrow. And after that, I just don't see England hanging on for long enough unless it rains till three o'clock. And somehow that doesn't happen in Perth. So tomorrow it could well be an Ashes wake, an Ashes review, what's gone wrong, what they're going to do in the future. But we'll just hold fire on that and see how the final day I bet you can't out. wait. <laughs> I bet you listeners can't wait for the, the post-mortem of England's Ashes debacle. But anyway, hopefully something good will happen tomorrow and we'll speak to you then. Goodbye for now. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.